Welcome to my podcast, Musings of a Christian Philosopher, where we talk about deep and often challenging topics of theology and philosophy. I'm your host, Adam Polstra. Let's get started. I'd like to talk to you a little bit today about the subject of loss. Now, first things first, what do I mean by loss? Loss in this context could be a variety of different things, causing grief, causing anguish, causing regret. Sort of the sorts of things like um, losing a marriage. It could be losing a job that you maybe thought that you were doing okay at. It could be losing a bunch of money in the stock market. It could be losing a friend. It could be, more like in my case, realizing that part of your entire paradigm about the world is entirely wrong. And you didn't even necessarily realize that you believed such a thing. Until somebody else told you that you were acting it out. Specifically, the reason why I want to talk about loss today is because I think that loss itself garners some of the best benefits that are possible in our lives, provided only that we accept the fact that we have garnered the loss. See, if we avoid the fact that we have lost something, that we have failed at something, or that we're not as good at something as we thought we were, if we project, if we justify, if we do everything that we po- everything that we can possibly do to keep from even our own minds the, fa- the harsh reality of the fact that we have suffered loss, then we're not going to learn anything by it, quite obviously, by definition almost. What are you going to learn as far as loss, including even the possibility of not losing out next time you're in a similar situation if you don't even admit your own responsibility in that loss? If you don't admit your own responsibility, then the lesson to be learned is from somebody else or perhaps a group of people in an organization or your now ex-spouse or something like that. What are you going to learn? And the further reason why I'm talking about the good or the benefit of loss is because, in, in my opinion, particularly in the modern day, One of the best ways that we are possibly going to find good people is if we find those who have genuinely accepted and suffered loss. I put the accepted part first because that is actually the more important one. Many people who don't appear to have suffered loss only appear to be so or appear that way because they never accepted it in the first place. If you talk to them about some loss that they had in the past, the first thing that they will tell you is how it wasn't their fault. So for them, it doesn't register as a loss at all because they didn't lose it. They may have lost something in the sense of money or reputation or something like that, at least with some people. But since they do not accept the blame themselves, they don't have it on their own record as a loss. For me myself, I've already admitted to the fact that I suffered the loss of both treating people poorly, I didn't say that specifically, but that's what I was doing, specifically women, 
because I had a false belief about women as a whole. And again, I didn't even realize that that was the case, and I've had to kind of retrospectively go back and recognize what that was. So what are the benefits of loss? What is the good that can be garnered through loss? To put it in general, those good results are reasonableness and modesty. Now, I'll start with modesty. Why does the acceptance of suffered loss bring us to modesty? If we go through life, and perhaps we are sheltered, perhaps we've had helicopter parents, or maybe grandparents, or maybe a helicopter church, if we somehow manage to go through life without any substantial loss, then what is your perspective of yourself. You have no reason to believe that any truly great harm or grief could ever come upon you. Why? Because you have no experience of it. That which we have never experienced before, how can we imagine it happening in the future? And once again, if we have suffered it but have not accepted it, then why should we ever expect that it could happen in the future? Essentially, it's a sort of a version of thinking that we're perfect. It's not quite the same thing, but we might believe that we're so gosh darn competent at everything, because again, we've never suffered any substantial loss or accepted the fact that we're just good at everything. If you think about it, that's really the philosophy of very young children, particularly those who once again have been guarded from any kind of pain or suffering, perhaps again from helicopter parents. Oh, I do everything just right. I do everything well. Clearly, I do everything well. I do everything in the right way because I have never suffered loss, because I have never downright failed. It reminds me of one of my favorite movies, The Core. In the movie, uh, the older captain, who's kind of training who is to become the new captain, uh, the older one is telling the younger one, who is a woman, and, he, and the older captain's a man, that one of her biggest flaws is that she's so good, which, of course, confuses her not just a little bit. And he explains that... There's never, she's never encountered anything that she couldn't beat. And she had already encountered some pretty challenging difficulties. But because of that, she wasn't, in his eyes, a leader. He pointed out that you're not really a leader until you've lost. But why would that be the case? How could he be right about that? And of course, through the course of the movie, she then does suffer loss, and it does change her. And the primary way in which it changes her is that suddenly she starts to be capable of experiencing emotion that she has not shown throughout the movie thus far. She becomes more capable of both making tough decisions for going forward and listening to the opinions of others, if I am not mistaken, going forward. Up to that point, even some of the most competent people who weren't even in the same field, she could figure out what they were doing just by tinkering and outstrip them. 
going forward through the rest of the movie, she's willing to listen to the advice of the same people and follow it. Modesty, or to say it differently, humility, is one of the fruits of suffering loss and accepting that loss. We stop believing that we can't possibly fail. We stop believing that we can't possibly suffer any negative consequences. We stop thinking that we do everything perfectly, like a kid. If we are capable of that sort of modesty, then we are capable of self-skepticism. We are capable of asking ourselves whether or not we are actually going about this in the best way because we don't automatically assume that we always are. Go back, check the list, check our approach. Don't just think that you can just do whatever it is that you're about to do. You think about it first. Now, the reasonableness is connected in pretty much the same way. But specifically, it has to do with a counter not to pride or, uh, what would the word be, cocksureness, I suppose. It's the counter to naivete. And this is something that I personally have a great deal more experience with. As Christians, and I've seen this not just in myself in the past, but in those around me, there is a great potential for naivete simply because, really, there I, I don't know how common this is among Christians, but there's this belief that the world around us can at least in our own circles be kept pure, be kept innocent, perhaps be kept childlike, which as far as I've seen, is more like childish. Lots of Christians grow up pretty much only around Christians, and I don't begrudge the fact, but not even just that, only around a certain kind of Christians. We're not really taught, some of us, to understand that as we meet more and more people, we might be disappointed. We might even be disappointed by the Christians around us. We tend to think that, in a sense, the world around us really is sanitized, that every person really does care about a objective moral code, that everybody has some sort of Christian conscience, even if they're not Christian themselves. And in the West, there is unfortunately a little bit of truth to that. And I say unfortunately because it can keep us in that naivete a lot longer. I have even been speaking to Christians who are around my same age, which is just under the age of 40, and they still are grappling with the reality that the sanitized life isn't actually life as it is currently. They not only have never lived in it, they can't live in it going forward. Dark things do happen. People do crappy things. People who claim to be something, claim to be good, claim to be conservative, claim to be liberal, claim to be Christian, can be entirely hypocritical and wrong and horrible in their private lives. 
Now, why is it that loss can bring us out of this sort of naivete? Well, because to suffer loss is to acknowledge imperfection. But not just in oneself, that is a part of it, but in the world. If you have a paradigm of life that essentially believes in the capacity of living in a bubble, that somebody could live in this sanitized, protected reality where nothing ever really goes wrong, everybody's always nice to each other, uh, which is really the bastardized definition of love, then, yeah, it, unless we suffer loss, we're never really going to believe that um, any other reality is necessarily possible. We can actually accept that we could constantly stay in the bubble. Some of you may remember from my very much earlier podcasts that uh, my social or my small group that I meet with on Monday nights is literally called Outside the Bubble. So yes, when you suffer real loss in your own life, especially if it is something like a divorce, and if you accept your responsibility in that loss, then clearly you can no longer believe in the bubble theory. You can no longer believe in a sanitized reality. And in my opinion, as a result of that, you have begun to become what I would call reasonable. Why? Because somebody who is reasonable is somebody who has a parallel paradigm of the world. What they think the world is, is actually more like what the world actually is. If you believe in the bubble-sanitized reality perspective, then quite clearly you're living in a, in, a, in a lie, in a farce. Now, I don't mean to say that everybody, even the most pure-minded Christians or just moralists in general, need to live in muck and mire. But I think it is important to acknowledge that there are wolves in sheep's clothing. There are horrible, disgusting human beings. There are deeply sadistic and abusive people. If you are not wise to that and you remain naive, then you are very likely to simply fall into the hands of some very horrible people or some people who not, are not just horrible in their own lives, but desire for that filth to spread onto you. The naivete itself might lead you into greater darkness than the awareness that that darkness does exist, and you are not exempt from it. So yes, until a person has suffered loss, in my opinion, it is very difficult for them to not be, in some sense, very arrogant, and in some sense, very naive, depending in many ways on their upbringing. You could have, for example, somebody brought up in a trash planet kind of set of circumstances, but they never really suffer a great loss, so while they may believe that the world is filthy, they don't necessarily believe that they are anything other than perfectly competent in everything that they do. That would still be naive in the sense of arrogant. But they're not naive as far as the world is concerned. And of course, you could also have somebody who lives in a very good set of circumstances but they have failed a number of times, but having never been outside of this Christian bubble or moral bubble or perhaps 
some sort of political bubble, they don't really believe that people outside of that set of experiences really do exist. They might hear about them, but they don't believe they're there because they've never experienced them. Either way, there's a sort of naivete. See, we might believe on the surface that a sort of painless reality is the right one for us to live in. And I can understand that. I can empathize with that perspective. But that would assume that a painless reality is parallel, is congruent with reality in general. But is it? Do we in fact need loss? Do we need pain in order to be sane in the world as it is? Many Christians would probably in the modern day answer, no, it is not necessary. Because, of course, we need to be perfectly moralistic, we need to seek the perfect reality, we need to foster heaven on earth, or something like that. And again, I can empathize with this perspective, but I do not see how it is beneficial. We were never told, for example, to turn heaven, or sorry, to turn earth into heaven. We were never told to seek utopia in this life. As far as I understand theologically, that was permanently and irreparably ruined when Adam ate from the tree. It wasn't restored to, say, factory settings when Jesus died on the cross for the sins of all the repentant. But that seems to be the assumption around many Christians. Or even just modern-day secular people seem to believe that it is the right way to raise a child to just save them from every possible pain. Now, in reality, those parents, I'm not going to go into the why, I'm just going to kind of say it, those parents are guarding their children from pain actually because the pain makes them anxious, that is, it makes the parents anxious. Not because they are trying to spare their children from the pain, but because they're trying to save themselves from the anxiety of seeing children experience pain, which probably hints to the amount of pain that they suffered as children themselves. And in the long run, they are setting up their children for much greater pains down the road when their naive, ignorant lifestyles fall through and they begin to actually see what the world looks like. That's going to be a great deal harder when they're 15 or 35 than if they started to realize that with that when they were nine. Many, many people in the modern day West in particular think that it is right to spare people from loss and pain. Now, I do think that it is not right to seek loss and pain, but it is right to accept loss and pain when it comes. It is also right to fight against the ongoing of loss and pain. In other words, you don't just sulk in it and you don't just wallow in it. You don't try to stay in loss and pain, but you do accept the reality. And especially you accept your responsibility in the bringing up of that loss and that pain. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about, oh, I got sick. I have to accept full responsibility for it. 
not necessarily because, yes, a virus is what is making you sick or maybe some bacteria or something like that. And you might bear some responsibility in that you hung around somebody you knew was sick. Or they might bear some of the responsibility because they hung around you and they didn't tell you they were ill. That's certainly possible, but that's not the kind of thing that I'm talking about. I'm talking about the sort of loss that really hurts because deep down we know whether we're willing to accept it or not, we do bear responsibility for what happened which goes back again to my examples. A divorce, a loss of a job, a loss of a friendship. See, even if the loss of spouse or friend is largely due to the deep immaturity of that spouse or that friend, you bear the responsibility for having chose that person as spouse or as friend in the first place. What level of ignorance were you willing to continue accepting that led you to choose such a person without realizing the clear red flags in their lives and in their behavior. If you failed at a job, if you got fired or just never got accepted via the interview, then what is lacking in your skill? What is lacking in your competence? If you're willing to accept that loss, you might be willing to start asking yourself those questions. And as a result of that, instead of stagnating because you think you never do anything wrong, you might begin to correct course. You might begin to either improve your skills or choose a new career path that you actually can be good at. As I've said in previous podcasts, humility is adaptability. Humility is adaptability because the capacity to accept that you're not perfect is equivalent with the capacity to correct course, to improve, to change. So in my opinion, loss in life, well, it's necessary, but it's not sufficient. Everybody, as far as I can tell, even Jesus himself, suffers loss. Absolutely. Not everybody accepts loss. But the goodness and the benefit of loss is impossible without the latter. We all must suffer loss. We all must grieve from time to time. As Solomon wrote, there's a time for joy, there's a time for grief. We all must eat humble pie or at least be given the opportunity to eat humble pie at certain points in our lives. If we are willing to accept it, then that to me is the kind of person, hmm, I almost want to say who can be real. And this goes into the core reason why I brought this up in the first place. Pretty much for my entire life, but especially since I suffered my own loss in life and chose to accept the fact that I bore full responsibility for my own lack of perspective, my own ignorance and my own bitterness towards an entire sex. I realized through experience that I could actually change in a deeply fundamental fashion. 
but it only came through that full acceptance of my loss and my responsibility in it. I learned that pattern. Ever since then, I have been particularly engaged, and I didn't finish the sentence earlier, I've been especially engaged in finding people who are going through tough losses. It might be breaking up with a boyfriend, it might be a divorce, it might be some other kind of loss, maybe a great sickness or something like that, though I personally have never helped people specifically in that situation. But I've helped some, pe some people in pretty ugly sets of circumstances. And I just started asking my, myself the question recently, why am I doing this? And the answer came in the form of this podcast, what I've been saying. The reason why I'm doing that is because I'm looking for the kind of people who can be reasonable, rational, and humble to that extent. It's not the loss that I'm looking for. I want to see what they do with that loss. And if what they do with that loss is fully accepted in the sense of their responsibility and the reality of the darkness of that experience, they might just be the kind of person who can grow. And not just grow today or tomorrow, but grow for the rest of their lives. Because if they continue to be willing to accept and garner the benefits of loss, and not just when they're losing, of course, at other times as well, they can continue to grow forever. If you think that becoming 70 years old or 75 or 80 is the point at which this benefit ceases, you would be wrong. One of the most optimistic and personally satisfying ideas I've ever had about heaven, because I as a Christian do believe it's out there and we will go there, or at least I will and those like me will go there someday, I believe that heaven is a place where we get to continue, sorry, we get to learn for eternity. We get to continue to discover nuance, brand new things, brand new discoveries for the rest of always. Given my personality and my passions, I can't think of anything more like what I would call heaven. And so in my opinion, that process begins now. And like I said earlier, it's not just in loss that we learn that or that we can do that. But loss is one of the deeper places in the reality as we have it now where that is indeed possible. That's all I had for today. Until next time.